0: Well, it is good to have Matt Johnson here with us today, and uh, brother, you got a lot of time. So, uh, it is uh, great to have him here. Uh, your mission to where? All over. All over. I'll talk about it. Oh, all right. All right. <laughs> good. So, make welcome, Matt Johnson. Thank Would you. you please? Thank you, Tim. Wow, that's a dream come true. I got a lot of time this morning. <laughs> <That's great. laughs> My uh, people never told me that in first, at First Baptist Church in Follerville, um, so this is great. Well, good morning, Calvary. It's good to be here, and good to see what you've done with the place. You survived a building program or a remodel program. This is great. I love it. It looks so good, and may God use this to bring honor and glory to His name and use your generosity and your hard work and your sacrifice, and this is wonderful. It's so good to see see this, and um, a lot of connections as I come back to Lapeer. um, it's, it's almost like coming home. Uh, my grandfather, Arvel Devaney, used to pastor in North Branch way back when. Um, my mom was a teenager at that time, and then um, my dad came and pastored in North Branch back in the late 80s, early 90s. And so Lapeer was a little bit different back then, Uh, no Meyer and Starbucks and anything like that. And so, and my great grandma used to own the property over on the other side of the Harley Davidson area over there, and uh, we used to go fishing out. There's a little pond lake back there, and so it's good to be here, good to have these connections. I I first met Jeremy about 19 years ago at my ordination, and he still reminds me of a, a special moment. Um, we were there, um, getting drilled, you know, the pastors are, there was two of us getting ordained and, um, we had, uh, about 60 pastors in the auditorium giving us questions and, and Jeremy was one of those pastors and, uh, my grandfather, Arvold Devaney was there as well and, and we got to the eschatology part, which I was starting to get nervous. And, uh, my grandfather stood up, Jeremy reminds me of this all the time, he, my grandfather stood up and said, men, it's been a good morning. We've heard these guys give their fine testimonies and doctrinal statements. They've answered our questions. I think it's time to break for lunch. And so I was saved that last portion of my doctrinal exam. I didn't have to go through the eschatology, and Jeremy got a kick out of that. And so but uh, so it's good to be here. One other connection, I, I just heard this this morning. I'm having lunch or dinner, I should say this this evening, with a pastor that's one of our supporting churches, and also just a pastor who's become a dear friend to me, Steve Swayze. Steve was saved here at this church as a as a young person, and God has used him. He's now been pastoring a church in Milford for over 20 years. I just think that's something for you to be reminded of as Nathan was reminding us of these young people that got saved, encouraging us uh, about the young people that were saved a couple weekends ago. Well, there's a pastor out there in Milford that has been influenced in a great way, not only brought to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, but also in ministry because of this church's influence. So be encouraged by that be encouraged by that today. And may we continue to trust and ask God to continue to use this church to be a blessing to many more young people, many more pastors. Well, let me just introduce my family. The next slide there. Um, we are the Johnsons I met? My wife, Jennifer, is not able to be with me today. We have five kiddos, Micah, Elijah, Noah, Josiah, and then God's blessed us with a little girl, Charlotte. Elijah's my travel companion this weekend, our second oldest. And So he's here with me making sure I uh, stay awake on the road and uh, make all our appointments. So we are serving, um, last time I was here, I shared with you that my focus was Latin America and the Caribbean islands, West Indies. And that still is a primary focus for me. But about a year ago, our uh, Live Global asked me to join their executive team. And so now I'm helping oversee all the global operations. And so I'll share a little bit more with you about that, Uh, but we want to advance the gospel through global partnerships. Next slide. Uh, The vision of Live Global is to see a growing network of churches and ministries across the globe who will commit the resources and efforts to advance the gospel in partnership together. We're passionate about partnership, connecting local churches like yourself to our national-led ministries overseas, wherever that may be, and build these strong bridges of partnerships between the two. And so, once again, I'll I'll share more in the Sunday School Hour um, last slide here this morning before we open God's Word. Basically, what we want to communicate to our churches, to, to individuals, is that God is working. God is working around the globe. I just got back from India, in an eastern, eastern state in India, where there is a group of people, a tribal group of people called the Sora, who there are 250,000 Christians that congregate in 900 churches. God is working. Where, how did that happen? Did you have any idea that there was 250,000? India is the least... Christianized country in the world and yet here's this pocket of Christians and we got a chance to spend time with them. I was in Jakarta, Indonesia um, at the tail end of this trip and I found myself sitting in an auditorium. Indonesia has the greatest population of Muslims in the world and yet I found myself in a chapel with 10,000 Christian young people. Why are they there? They're there because an Indonesian businessman started this university because he wants to start Christian schools all throughout Indonesia. He wants to start hospitals that are run by Christian doctors and nurses all throughout Indonesia. So in order to staff those schools, in order to staff those hospitals, he has to start a university. He has to start a medical school. In the most populated Muslim country in the world, I'm sitting with 10,000 Christian young people singing All Hail King Jesus was one of the songs that we sang. God is working. So that is what we want to passionately tell churches across America. God is working in incredible ways around the world. And then the second thing we want to ask, and we want to challenge churches and individuals, what is your role? What is your role? We believe that God has given each person here a role to play in global evangelism. We're looking for people with IT skills that will help code and and write programs for our partners overseas. They'll build websites. We're looking for videographers who will go over and capture the stories of our partners across the globe so we can come back and and communicate those stories to churches. We're looking for storytellers who will write for our partners. We're looking for pastors, retired pastors, who will come and teach and train our national pastors who are lacking in theological training. So God has given each one of us a role to play in global evangelism. And so we want to challenge everyone, what's your role? So I'll share more. I think if I remember correctly, all the Sundays, adult Sunday school classes will be here in the morning, after the morning service, and I'll share more in depth about our ministry. Okay, looking forward to that time. Well, let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. This has to be one of my favorite, all-time favorite passages in the Old Testament. James chapter 1 verse 17 says, Every good and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. That verse in James tells us that all our blessings come from above. Every good and perfect gift is we also see in that verse an important attribute, an important quality of God, His immutability. To be immutable means that God will never change. Unlike the capric- capricious false gods of other religions, we can count on this God, this God of James chapter 1, the God of Second Samuel chapter 9, to keep His word and to remain true to His promises, to His character. This verse tells us that the God of the Bible is the same God who rules the world today. He's the God that we are here to worship this morning and to give thanks to. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Today, I want to encourage you to thank God and to praise God for His character. Not just His immutability And all that that means. But in particular, I want you to praise God for His grace. His grace. And when you think about it, this is a perfect season to think about God's grace. What does Paul say in 2 Corinthians chapter 8? He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. What did he do? Paul continues on. That even though he was rich... Yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty we might be rich. And that is what we are today if Jesus is our Lord and Savior. We are rich. Rich in grace. So I want us to meditate upon this character of God. His grace. Now that word grace can mean many different things to different people. It could refer to a coordination of movements. You could say a person has moves with grace. Yesterday, I went to the classic uh, Nutcracker, to the ballet, and wow, that stage was filled with people that moved with grace. You say grace before a meal. Before, as you pray, you say grace. Or you can use the word by saying that person graces us with their presence. But most importantly, that word grace can mean God's kindness to undeserving sinners. God's kindness to undeserving sinners. It is extending favor to someone who doesn't deserve it. They've not earned it. And they most definitely can never repay it. Grace, God's grace, is what makes Christianity different than any other religion. You see, Christianity is so radical because the fundamental message of Christianity is that none of us are deserving. None of us are worthy. None of us can stand based upon what we have achieved. None of us is able to say, I'm all right with God. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God, and so therefore, we are in desperate need of God's kindness. Of God's grace. Grace, God's kindness to undeserving sinners. And what we have here in 2 Samuel chapter 9 is a beautiful picture of grace. The chapter begins by King David stating in verse 1, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Father, I just ask that you would open your word to us, that we may behold wondrous things from your law, that you would transform us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ as you reveal to us and show us and remind us of your matchless, wonderful grace. Teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me set the stage briefly here. David has been installed as the king over Israel. God had given David great victory over his enemies. In the previous chapter, it, ta- it says that the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. 2 Samuel chapter 8, verse 14. And it also says that David administered justice and equity to his people. In other words, David was a good king. And here, at some point at the beginning of his reign, David asked this question found in verse 1. Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Notice that word kindness. Most people believe that that word kindness would be better translated as the word grace. Most people believe that the proper rendering of that verse would be, is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him grace for Jonathan's sake. Now, why does David ask that question? Well, if you know your Bible history and the the, the way things were back then in Eastern dynasties, you know that when a king took over a throne, when a new king took over the throne, all the family members of the previous dynasty would be exterminated to make sure that none of those that previous dynasty would raise a revolt or a riot to take back the throne and that was the custom of David's days now earlier on in first Samuel chapter 20 we see Jonathan King Saul's son David's best friend asking David and asking him to promise to protect him and his family when God placed David on the throne David made that promise to Jonathan and he promised that he would show grace to Jonathan to spare them. And now we see David not only remembering that promise, but David moving and acting to fulfill that promise. Is there anyone, he says, that I can show grace to because of Jonathan? Notice that word, anyone. And don't don't skip quickly over that word, anyone. It's a special word, isn't it? Think about it. David's not asking for those who are qualified. He's not asking for those who are worthy. He did not ask for anyone with special achievements to boast of. No, he says, is there anyone? Anyone? Anybody out there? Anybody still living from the house of Jonathan that might be the recipient of my grace. Reading on, it says now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called to him David, and David and the king said to him, "Are you Ziba?" And he said, "I am your servant." Verse 3, and the king said, "Is there still not Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. There is still one person, Ziba says. But listen, David. I don't know if you really want to meet him. He doesn't quite measure up, David. He's not going to fit here. This guy's not going to look very good in your courtroom, in your beautiful palace. He's lame in both feet. He's crippled. He has a serious disability, David. In other words, David, he doesn't measure up. He has nothing really to offer you. He is really not someone who is worthy of receiving your grace of receiving your attention and affection. Well, this crippled someone's name is Mephibosheth. Try saying that five times real fast. 2 Samuel chapter 4, we read about what, how this happened to Mephibosheth when King Saul and his son Jonathan were killed in battle. His nurse, who is caring for Mephibosheth, picked up Mephibosheth, ran off to to hide him, to protect him, and as she was fleeing to safety, she, she accidentally drops him. Injures both feet, leaving Mephibosheth crippled for life. Imagine that. Mephibosheth, in one day, has lost his family. His position as a prince, a future king of Israel, He's lost his wealth and his health. This child has nothing. Absolutely nothing. What a sad and miserable life, existence he was living. Mephibosheth has nothing to offer David. But remember, David asked for anyone. Anyone. And his response to what Ziba has to say had, or has told him is beautiful. He doesn't ask, "Well, how bad is this disability?" Or, "How did this happen?" Instead, in verse four, he says, "Where is he? Where is he?" My friends, that is the way grace is. Grace is not picky. Grace is not choosy. Grace does not look for things that have been done to deserve love. In fact, grace operates apart from the response or the ability of the individual. Grace is totally one-sided. And we see that here in this passage so clearly. Grace is God giving Himself in full acceptance to someone who doesn't deserve it, And can never earn it, and will never ever be able to repay it. David asked, "Where is he?" Verse four. And Ziba said to the king, "He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar." I'm told that Lodabar is not a place that we would want to go visit. I'm told Lodibar is a place of desolation, a place of isolation. This is a place of obscurity, a safe place to be hiding if you're running from the king. No one wants to live there. Nothing grows there. It is a land that is barren. Why would anyone want to be in Lodibar? As I just mentioned, you'd be in Lodibar if you're trying to hide. Mephibosheth is there out of fear. He knows to be in a place that is closer or near the new king would most certainly mean death. Verse 5, Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth! And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. Can you try to put yourself in Mephibosheth's shoes for a second? Can, Can you imagine what it must have been like what you would have been thinking as you entered that courtroom that day as as he hobbles in on two crippled feet could he walk did he have to crawl did someone have to carry him as you're entering into king david's courtroom all the different thoughts would be going in your mind is this my last day is my life about to end Remember, that was the custom of the day. For all Mephibosheth knew, he was being ushered to his death. He was expecting a sword to strike his neck, but instead he sees or he hears David say, Do not fear. Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness, I will surely show you grace. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you will eat at my table always. Isn't, isn't that last phrase precious? You shall eat at my table always. Not only is David not going to kill Mephibosheth, he, he's going to restore all his property, his wealth. He's not going to have to live in Lodovar anymore, in this place of obscurity. No more hiding. No more isolation. No more fear. That is all wonderful, but I believe none of it compares to those words, you will eat at my table always. Do you know what this tells me? David wants a relationship with Mephibosheth. David wants to Spend time with Mephibosheth. Wants fellowship, wants intimacy, closeness. He wants to show love. He wants to show grace, undeserved, unmerited kindness. Do you see how one sided this relationship is? On one hand, you have powerful, regal, handsome, mighty King David. Everything's going right for him. And on the other side, you have this weak, fearful. Poor, crippled, disabled, Mephibosheth. And that's the way grace works, my friends. It is totally one-sided, and and Mephibosheth knows it. Verse 8, he paid homage and said, What is your servant? Who am I that you would show regard for such a dead dog as I? Verse 9, Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. There it is again. Now, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Verse 11, Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Just like Solomon. Just like all the other sons of David. He's part of the family. Verse 12: And Mephibosheth had a young, young son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both feet. What a fantastic account of grace! He was brought, Mephibosheth was brought into a place of honor like he never had before. He became part of the royal family, sitting at the table office. Do you see how many times the, the author stresses that fact? This is his new position. Mephibosheth will be found. Where are you going to find Mephibosheth? He's at the king's table. He's stressing over and over again that's his new position. That's his position of grace. Just like one of the king's sons. My friends, this is a very important passage for us to read, to study, to think and meditate on. Because what you see in this passage is really an incredible foreshadow or picture, if you will, of God's grace to us in Christ Jesus. This passage is to be like a mirror so that we can look into it and see ourselves with accuracy. You see, we are to look into this passage and see and to recognize that each one of us is a Mephibosheth. This room is filled with Mephibosheths. Each one of us are lame, crippled, weak, totally undeserving of grace, of God's kindness. Totally undeserving of grace from the King. The King of all kings. In fact, the Bible says that because of our sin, we are enemies of the King. We are alienated from Him. Colossians 1.21 says that we were alienated and enemies in our mind by wicked works. As we look into this passage, as like we look into a mirror, we are to be reminded that there was a time where we were afraid to be with the King. We are not able to walk with the king, to be with him, much less sit around his table and have fellowship with him. Just like Adam and Eve hid on account of their sin, so we too hide. Just like Mephibosheth hid from David, we too hide from God. Recognizing that on account of our sin, we cannot be in His presence we are to look into this passage and recognize that on account of our sin, we are totally separated from God. Set apart. On our own merit, we cannot be in His presence. Do you recognize this this morning? Let me ask you this question this morning. If you were to stand before the King of Kings this morning, what one thing would you argue? What one thing would you put out there that, said that, that makes you worthy to stand before Jesus? As you stand before the King, what evidence would you use to declare your right to be in His presence? What one thing would you put out there that says, because of this, I deserve your grace? I deserve eternity in your presence. You know, there's only one correct answer to those questions nothing. Absolutely nothing. The only correct answer to those questions is that on my own, I have no merit, I am not worthy. Because of my sin, I cannot be in the presence of a perfect and holy God. So as we look into this passage this morning, we are all to see that we are all Mephibosheths. It's a room full of them. Each one of us are born into this world. Broken. Poor. Lost. Living in enemy territory. All because of sin. We don't even have sense enough to seek the king's favor apart from the king moving to us, apart from the king's grace operating in us. And isn't that what we see in this passage? Mephibosheth didn't seek out David. The king did all the seeking, didn't he? It was his idea. He's the one who reached out. He's the one who went and found Mephibosheth. He did the seeking, and the same thing happened to us if we are a child of God. None of us would be in this room if God had not acted first and moved toward us in His grace. So praise Him this morning. Praise Him. We come to Him broken. We come to Him impoverished. We come to Him in fear of our guilt. We come as sinners, poor and wretched, weak, wounded, sore, and sick. And as we do, we have only one argument, only one hope. It's His grace. It's His grace. We have nothing else to hang our hopes on. In spite of our sin, in spite of our disabilities, our crippledness, God gives us grace he did it through jesus christ Second corinthians 8 9 for you know the grace of our lord jesus christ who even though he was rich yet for your sakes became poor became poor became a servant paul says in Philippians chapter 2 went to the cross so that we through his poverty might be rich And that is what you are if Jesus is your Lord and Savior. You're rich, rich in grace. So today, let's remember that we are all Mephibosheths. But Jesus Christ the King has showed us grace. He's made a way possible for our sins to be forgiven and to have intimate fellowship with the King by believing in Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross of Calvary. He takes us from our barren life, Our life of desolation and obscurity. A life of ruin, despair, and hopelessness, and darkness. And He brings us into the kingdom of His matchless light. He saves us and gives us eternal life. By believing in Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross. You can have your sins forgiven and you can have... And know the joy of a restored relationship with Jesus Christ, the Creator, the king of the universe. you can experience grace. It's all of him. You can't come to him on the base and based on any achievement or work of your own. You can only come to him on the basis of his rescuing grace. So I urge you, if you haven't already, turn to him today. Receive his grace by faith. And just like Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, you will be welcomed into the presence of the king. And you will eat always at his table. And for those of you who have already received God's grace by faith, I want you to remember that through his grace, you are a child of God. Think about this. Mephibosheth was an orphan. Lost his father, lost his grandfather Then David, the king himself, became like a father to him. It's a beautiful picture of what happens when you trust Christ. Even though you don't deserve it, even though you've been an enemy of God, a sinner, a rebel, God adopts you into his family. Galatians 3.26, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. John 1.12, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children. Children of God. What an incredible act of grace. God not only saves us, not only does he forgive us of our sins and count us righteous before him, he also makes us his own sons and daughters. And as we close this morning, I just want you to think about some of the benefits of being a son or daughter of the king. Let me just give you four this morning. And I'll give you some passages to look up on your own. Four benefits of being a son or daughter of the king. First of all, we receive his care. We receive the king's care. Our Heavenly Father cares for us and protects us, doesn't he? First Peter 5 7, cast all your anxieties on him, for he cares for you. We are urged in Hebrews chapter 4 to come with confidence before the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find help in the time of need. Oh, what care. What care? As sons and daughters of the King, we are also beneficiaries of His love. Imagine. Imagine how much your Heavenly Father loves you. How much He accepts you. How much He enjoys spending time with you. First John 3, 1 John 3.1 See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. Romans 8 What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him, also with him, graciously give us all things? Who who shall separate us from the love of Jesus Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are recipients of the King's love. So sons and daughters of the King we are beneficiaries of His care, of His love. Third, we benefit from His wealth. His wealth. We receive an inheritance. We get a share of everything our Heavenly Father owns. Galatians 4.7 says, So you are no longer a slave. Which reminds me of the, the situation of Mephibosheth. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you are, Galatians 4.7 says, an heir, an heir through God. Ephesians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in Him. Ephesians 1, 11-12, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. Hallelujah. So as sons and daughters of the King, we benefit from His care, His love, His wealth. We receive an inheritance. And then last of all, we receive honor. We receive honor. We share our Father's name and reputation. Once again, First John 3.1 See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Ephesians two five through seven. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved, and he raised us up with him. Why? So that he could seat us in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful place of honor and privilege we have in Christ. A place where forever and ever He is going to show His immeasurable riches and His kindness towards us. Colossians 1, 21-22, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He is now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death. In order that... Okay, that first part of that verse, I'll read it again, reminds me of Mephibosheth, okay? You who were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. There's grace, God moving and acting, just like David moved and acted in Mephibosheth's life. Why? So that he may present us holy and blameless above reproach before Him. What honor. What honor. And that is who we are in Christ Jesus. Recipients of His care, His love, His wealth, and His honor. Seated in the heavenly places. So let this passage in the Old Testament serve as a mirror this morning. Let it confront you. Let it be a reminder that without Christ, this is who we are, or were, Mephibosheth. Sinners, rebels, poor, wretched, sick and sore. But oh, what grace. Let this passage remind you of the grace that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. That we had nothing, deserved nothing, could repay nothing, just like Mephibosheth. And let this passage be one that fills you with the greatest hope, the deepest comfort that you could ever have. As you were reminded of the marvelous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who through His work on the cross, made it possible for us to be sons and daughters of the King. And because we are sons and daughters of the King, we receive His care. We receive His love, His wealth, and His honor. We do not live in a place of obscurity anymore. No more Lodibar for us. We have continual access into the presence of the King. We can come to His table at any time. All because of Jesus. Father, I thank You. Thank you for this passage and the many others in the Old Testament that are, our pictures are foreshadows of the grace of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to share this truth, this, this passage with my dear brothers and sisters here. May this passage encourage their hearts as they meditate and think about uh, the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ as they're reminded of why He came, and as they look forward to the day when Jesus comes back, we will forever eat at His table. And if there's someone here today who has thought, believed, that in some way they can earn favor with you, that today they would set all that aside, and they would cling only to the grace of Jesus Christ trusting only in the work that he accomplished on the cross to rescue and deliver us from our sins do this we pray in Jesus name amen thank you matt it's great to have you here today and thank you for the think about the grace